Huh? Yeah, whenever you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wolf. And I'm David Oro, and you're listening to the Umbargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. Whenever we get around to it. Which is usually every other week. We're going to talk about news, politics, sports, pop culture, business, whatever we want. All of it from the point of view of public relations and communication. We are all about punching stodgy PR in the face. That's right. So sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Today is Thursday, September 16th, 2021. What's up, Kevin? What's happening, Dave? Good to hear from you, brother. Yeah, uh... So this week is special. Like we were supposed to have a guest on on Tuesday, like but she ghosted us. Yeah, and uh, so we're we're, gonna, we're dedicating this pod to her, right? This is the Joan. What's her last name? Uh, Joan Westenberg is her name. <laughs> the Joan Weston something podcast. Yeah. Joan, if you're out there, if you're yeah, listening, yeah, West- come back. We want you. We, I, Dave, look, we we kind of. We kind of we made like a nasty gram on Twitter that kind of dissed something that she wrote for some publication. And, and that's probably why she's out. But, Joan, if you're listening, we want you back. Let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion. No hard feelings. Come on back. So if you're listening, t- uh, she wrote an article in Inc. called Tech PR is Dead. The model no longer works. Um, and you can go to our Twitter feed to say what we said about it. You can go to LinkedIn to see what others said about it, but it's a story we heard before, but we were willing to have a conversation with her about that. She agreed to do it. Did not show up. Did not reply to email. I hope she's okay. Right. Like maybe she's, maybe something came up, but more than likely she saw the tweet. Listen, I, I think tech PR has changed and I, you know, I respect her opinion and, and her point of view, uh, yeah, we were being, you know, we were punching P- stodgy PR in the face with our tweet. So don't take it personal. Yeah, I hope she's okay too. But according to Twitter, she's tweeting away. <laughs> so, <laughs> her fingers work. Right? Her fingers work. Yeah. So, so hopefully she does that. And let's, all right. Joe Westenberg, come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. So that left us this week. We, Kevin and I showed up to record that meeting and she didn't show up. And then we, him and I just started chatting. And I wish we would have recorded that because we had a great conversation so we decided to schedule a re-recording and record today and then today our talking points are all about just things that have been on our mind um, because it was it's been an interesting year we're about ready to hit fall and it's super busy for both of us Kevin you want to talk a little bit about that yeah sure I you know I was saying before we hopped on that uh, you know in past summers things have been uh, slow, right? Slow. Uh, summer's kind of historically slow time for tech. People go on vacation, but but people didn't for the past year or so, right? Due to the pandemic. And I think we all worked as much as we could and nobody could go anywhere. So last summer, I actually remember being kind of busy, but this summer was different. And, and I had clients that took time off. I had clients that changed jobs. I had clients that got, whose businesses got acquired. And so summer actually turned out to be this past summer was relatively slow. Uh, you know, I was busy enough, but it was relatively slow. But it feels now, as we get into September and head toward the fall, uh, it feels like things are really picking up. And this week, uh, you know, I've been crushed. I've been pitching a million things. I've been, you know, working nonstop. And so, I, you know, what happens, Dave, I, I think you would agree, like when 
in our business as independents, you kind of rely on the fact that sometimes you're going to be busy and sometimes you're not, right? It's going to ebb and it's going to flow and you need enough business as an independent to kind of keep it going during the, you know, during the lower times. And, you know, you kind of feel like during the high times, not everyone's going to be busy at the same time. It just doesn't usually work that way. But I got to be honest, man, this past week, I felt like everyone that I'm working with is doing something important right now. And when that happens, you know, a bunch of things come up in terms of how you manage your time and how you, um, who you're pitching and, you know, there's overlap. And so anyway, I I thought, I thought we could talk about some of that stuff. Yeah, I hear you. I think too, uh, you know, you're talking about what happened last year, right? So everybody was pretty much locked down last summer. And so, yeah, go ahead and go work in front of a computer because I'm not going to take, I'm not going to travel. Uh, I'm not going to do anything. So let's just work through it. And I think this year people were less restricted, particularly here in America. Um, so people got out and tried to make changes. But if you consider that, now we're back into that little typical fall that pattern, right? So it's like, you know, people take their summers off and they go travel and do their thing. And then I know from the years of doing this, once school starts, it seems like everybody, every company wants to cr- do something during the school year, right? right? So the big conferences are happening, things are going on. And the next break here, particularly in America, is is uh, Thanksgiving. And then you get the winter break. And then it picks up again in in January through June, right? So it seems to be the, the working rhythm here in the United States. So We've got about 10 like weeks. Normal. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We've got about 10 weeks from the start of September to the middle of November where I think people try to get as much done as they can. And, yeah. uh, and so that's, I, I feel like it's, it's just, it's starting. And uh, so, so let me throw a couple of things at you here that, that I've noticed over the last week or so. And, you know, I'll give you an example, right? So I'm, I'm working with a couple of companies. Uh, these are, you know, enterprise software and services companies. Okay. And, you know, they've got some, some good news and some strong stories to pitch, but you know, part of our of our job as uh, comms pros guiding these firms is to help them uh, kind of have the right expectations when it comes to media outreach. So, you know, everyone wants to be in the Wall Street Journal. Everyone, you know, wants a big feature on their news, but not all news is worthy of that. So, i you know, I know how I deal with that. But I'm curious how you approach the uh, expectation setting process with your clients when maybe they've got news that you have a pretty strong idea of what you're going to get from it, and they've got a different idea. How do you tackle that? That's a lot of conversations, actually, right? So, um, you know, you want to set the right expectations of what they can get because, you know, they, they, they believe it's a big thing. I had a client over the summer that I actually bought into it. It was supposed to be a huge, huge deal. Like hmm. start drinking and, your own Kool-Aid. Uh, yeah. But I was like, you know what? The way that the, it came out, it was in the software space and it was a switch of, uh, it was an open source software and it was a switch from one foundation to another. And it, you know, basically who was going to own this piece of open source software and contribute to it. And my client actually worked with them and worked in that and helped, 
you know, kind of make in that transition and they were going to have an offering to support it. And I was like, wow, this is kind of a big deal because this is, hasn't happened in the whole lifetime of this certain piece of software. Mm. And like two people covered it, even though we yeah. hit everybody that we were supposed to hit. And even though I thought it was a pretty big deal, uh, it wasn't that much. And for me, like you have to remember to, like I went along with it, but also you got to remember to set the expectation that, you know, journalists are just as busy as well and they're covering more and more stuff. You know, uh, this may not be as important to them. Maybe yeah, I, I miss. A, I mean, sorry. like maybe I misread it in terms of the importance of it. But even the client was like, "Oh, this is huge for us. It's going to be big." Right. And I'm like, "You know what? This could be a big deal." And then afterwards, the client was like, "Okay, that's what we expected." I'm okay. like, "What? You hyped me up, yeah. <laughs> right? But you that's, know, that's reasonable." Yeah. You know, I, I had a client say to me the other day, like, "You know, Kevin, you." you you always under promise and over deliver. And I, I think that's a great place to be uh, as a, as a media person, as a comms person. And I don't do it intentionally. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sandbag. I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't really want to let anyone down. You know, I don't want to tell anyone that their news isn't important, but uh, you know, I just, I think it's a function, Dave, of like, I know how competitive the media space is. I know how hard it is to get any kind of coverage these days. I know you do too. And I know the media landscape has changed in a way that it, it's just harder than ever uh, in, in tech PR and enterprise tech to, you know, to get a hit. And so I, I you know, I, I, I hate to, I hate to rain on someone's parade, but I almost feel, I, I just feel obligated at the beginning to say, look, you know, this is, this is the way it is out there. This is what we're facing. And uh, you know, I'm going to pitch my ass off for you. And I believe in the news, but uh, but you've got to be realistic about you know about what we're going to get here, and and usually people are, are understanding of that, and sometimes sometimes they're not, sometimes it isn't what they want to hear, but um, especially as a as an independent person, I feel like you know I'd be shooting myself in the foot over time. Right? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin, I want to go back to you know you you are you said over. Oh, um, under promise and over deliver, right? So yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a great place to be. Um, but uh, do clients push back on you on that sometimes? Like, oh, we got to do more. Like, I know that inside corporations, you know, they're always, oh, we got to do more. And then, and then they know, like right now I'm working with a client that's like, oh, we can get in the Wall Street Journal. We can do all of this. And then right. you do it. And you've been telling them all along it's a trade story. Yeah. And they're, and they're okay with it, but they, you know, like some clients are like, oh, let's go for it all. <laughs> but I know I'm not going to get that. Yeah, right? I, so I'm like, okay with that. It's yeah, weird. It's, like, I, I, I want it to be a more real conversation sometimes. Like, this is what it's going to be. I understand there's a stretch goal that we have to hit. Yep. But, but okay, let's go after that stretch. But, you know, you're telling everybody from the CEO, CEO all the way up, <laughs> this is going to happen. It's not, right? Yeah. You know what, so. Dave, at the end of the day, we're paid for our expertise, right? And so if the client trusts you and you go, look, this is, this is what we're going to get, or this is what we're likely going to get. I'm going to try for that stretch goal, but this is what's realistic. Um, you know, they, they don't have to believe you, but that is why they're paying you for that kind of guidance. And yeah. I've had to do this before and I don't really like to do it. It's uncomfortable, but I'll say, 
all right, you, you want to be in whatever it is, the journal or Forbes, wherever you want to be. Let's go together to that page right now, to that website, and let's take a look at the kind of stories they're covering. And do you see yourself realistically in this coverage based on the other stories you see here? That's a, that, I've done it before. It's an uncomfortable thing to do because inevitably what happens is the client doesn't see themselves in those stories, right? And so it, it ends up kind of having the effect of making the client kind of look bad in the moment. And it's not what I want to do. But look, if, if you're going to push back and say, hey, we should be getting into these higher level pubs. And I say, look, look, you, you can see that actually your story doesn't fit here. Um, sometimes that's necessary. Wait, have you gotten on a Zoom call and actually walked them through that? Like, hey, here, let me share my screen. Let me link, <laughs> link through this. I don't think I've done it over Zoom. You know, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I think I've done it on the phone, uh, you know, but yeah, I've done it. It's not great. Look, it, again, it's not what you want to do, but, um, but, but it's, it is necessary. And uh, anyway, so I, I think that the expectation setting thing is something that we've always had to deal with in this business and, and probably will continue to yeah. do. Let me, let me switch gears slightly on here because it's a related topic, but I, I think it's, so I, I continue to be a big believer in the press release. I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod before, but what? yeah, 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 yeah. The, the old fashioned, you know, old school, like, Here's what we're announcing press release. And I know they're not in vogue, right? Everybody wants to do a TikTok or, a, you know, get on what's that clubhouse app we talked about that's, I don't even hear about it anymore, right? <laughs> but like everybody wants to do that. But in my opinion, like press still, the media that I deal with still want to see a written statement of what you're announcing. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I write a lot of them, I pitch a lot of them. And one thing that I've noticed happening is that you know, a client will come to me with a, a news story and we go to write the press release. And over the course of writing that release, it gets watered down a lot. Right. So where, you know, you, some of the, you know, the, um, the, the meat of the release, the stuff that I think press would be really interested in kind of gets, it, it ends up uh, not making the cut for whatever reason, maybe the, the client isn't comfortable saying something, or if it's a customer story, we, we can't put that, ROI data point in there, or, you know, we can't make that super strong claim. Uh, and, and it makes it really tough to sell those releases. I, I, I had that experience. I'm having that experience right now. Have you, have you encountered something like that? Does that happen to you? Uh, I'm doing that right now. That's my crisis okay. of the day, right? So <laughs> we had right. a pretty strong release, right? And so like, you know, you advise clients all the time, like take a damn position, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And own it. And start yeah. to talk about it and sell it, right? And then, you know, it, it makes its way inside the internal organization. And I've seen it. Like, I've been on the inside. I've seen them like, no, we're not ready to do that because the technology is not ready. Oh, no, we're not ready to do that because it doesn't exist, <laughs> you know, but we want to be there, right? And, but then I've seen other clients, too, and they're like, oh, we're, we're going to have that ready in 120 days. Let's go send it right now, yeah. you know? Um, it, I, I, I think... You know, clients need to take positions that are that are that are market shaking, market moving, that are market conversations that are happening, and and they have a hard time doing that sometimes. But that's what's going to get you in the news. That's what's going to help you be part of the conversation. So yeah, I am going through that right now. I don't like the watered down press releases. <laughs> you can't yeah. really sell it. And like, what what's it going to do for you if there is no if there is no change or controversy? in that news 
in that press release, it's not really going to go far. And if it's just going to be a bunch of marketing speak, it's not going to help anybody. The, the news needs to stand out, right? Yeah. So these reporters get so many pitches. Uh, if yours doesn't say anything unique or special or different, uh, if you don't have depth and substance to your announcement, it's, it's probably not going to make the cut. Yeah. You know, it, the more established you are, the more it's easier to say, uh, to put out news because you, you become the change part of what makes news change or controversy. Right. So um, if you're doing a new product announcement or you're making changes in your subscription pricing, or if you're hiring somebody, the more established you are, the more likely you can, you can make those changes. But like when you're, when you're, young, new, and coming up, um, it better be some awesome technology nobody's ever seen before. Or, you know, if you're in a space that there's like three or four competitors, you actually probably need to take a position on something uh, that uh, th that adds to the conversation or changes the direction of the conversation. And I'll tell you, this This actually ties back to something else I wanted to mention or, or bring up here. I, I've found recently, again, just in the last week or so, I've encountered a couple of clients that have a real hard time making up their minds about what they want to say or what they can say. I'm surprised. I deal with mostly with, uh, they're not all startups, but I would call them early stage, relatively early stage uh, software and services companies. And I've noticed that there's more risk aversion than uh, than. I don't know, this might be just, you know, kind of a select data point, a, a few different, a couple of different things that have happened in the last week, but, but they seem more risk averse than usual. And again, that it kind of flies in the face of what you need to do, especially when you're a young company and, and get out there and make a statement and make a claim and, and stand behind it and dude, have a strong position. Listen, yeah, are having trouble making up their mind about what they want to do. Yeah, dude. So here's the thing. This is where the one thing I like about Zuck. Okay. Everything I hate about Facebook, the one thing I like about mm -hmm. Zuck. Move fast, break things, especially when you're young, right? Go out there and take a position, be a little bit more aggressive about it. And, you know, if you make it, you win. If you fail, everybody's going to forget about you, right? So really go back to the 90s. Remember, pets.com was going to change the world and everything. And they got the attention and they got the thing, but their business sucked and they went away. Nobody's, you're not hurt by it, <laughs> right? Nobody sued them for it uh maybe some of the reputations were lost here and there but i think you could take you're, you're already taking a risk in starting up this business you're already taking a risk and taking that money and trying to get out there and sell it you know you could take a little bit risk in your messaging and um and, and stance in what's going on particularly if you're a young company now that goes with a caveat of it better be true and authentic Right. Yeah. You, you better have better be able to back it up. Um, and I've seen people uh, back off of things, even though that they had the data to support what they wanted to say. Yeah, yeah that's a mistake. Right. I mean, if, if you've got a uh, if you've got something to say and you can back it up, you got to you got to get out there. I do think that in terms of being risk averse, some of the clients that I've noticed, I, I think they feel like their business is doing well enough or the opportunity ahead is big enough that taking too much of a chance on the marketing side could expose them, right? That, that, that they could, the business could kind of fall apart or the funding could dry up if they go too far out on a limb. So I, I get it, right? I understand why you have to be careful. Yeah. But 
uh, if you're too careful, you know, your marketing isn't going to work, right? Your PR isn't going to be successful. So I guess it's really about finding that, uh, finding that line. Yeah. And to the people that we, we work with and, you know, to help them out a little bit, sometimes if you're getting that pushback, they don't know it all either. Right. We're, we're like, Hey, let's, this is what's going to get you in the news. And there could be a deal, uh, a new customer deal or some piece of finance or some legal issue that's holding everybody back. And, and we may never know that. Right. Sure. So like getting the real story sometimes is tough. That's why you really need, you know, you can, to a point, you can work with an outside agency, but you better have somebody strong in there um, to be able to help drive that conversation, which is, you know, somebody like our previous guest, Michael Bustlin did, right? Yeah. Um, and kind of guide that direction. And that's the role of the comms chief or head. So, And, and you know what, Dave, the, the competition to get media coverage is so intense that, uh, that if you don't, take a chance if you don't take a swing every once in a while you're you're really um you're, you're gonna you're gonna disappear i was in touch just before we hopped onto this pod today i was talking to a top trade sorry top um a top tech pub editor uh about a story for next week and she told me can't do it we're fully booked for next week and i don't know if i mean this is an <laughs> this is an online publication right there, there is no such thing as fully booked right there's you got unlimited space on the web Right? We're not talking about a print publication here, right? But she, and I think what she meant is that from a resource standpoint, they just don't have the people to cover the news. Um, and, and they can be more picky than ever because of it. Uh, and actually, you know, it, it actually ties back to something else I wanted to ask you about because uh, one of the ways that, uh, that I pitch is, uh, is on embargo, right? You know, it, it's how we oftentimes shop news, right? We'll reach out to media before a release goes out and, you know, ask if a reporter is willing to receive the news and consider the news on embargo, meaning they won't publish anything till, till we say so, essentially, until, a, a, you know, an agreed upon date. Mm-hmm. And I've found in the last, again, just in the last week or so, as I think, you know, companies are, you know, pubs or reporters are getting more pitches than ever that people are pushing back on the embargo. I, I don't want it. I'm not going to agree to it. We're not doing embargoes, um, which, you know, I guess, it, you know, it's the, it, uh, clearly their prerogative. And, and I think it's a function of just how many pitches are getting and maybe they don't need to do it. But have you had that experience too? What's your, what's the latest on the embargo? No pun intended. Uh, the embargoes continue to work for me. Um, and I think from what I've seen, reporters appreciate it. And sometimes when I don't go with embargo, reporters are like, oh, missed your opportunity. Um, and then, right. you know, there's, there's a handful that are like, I don't do embargoes, right? So like, okay, it's What's fine. What's up with that, by the way? Who, who, like, other than the fact that there's competition and maybe they, they've just decided they don't have to, that, that aside, like, is there some other reason that I'm not aware of? Like, what would you say would be a good reason for a reporter with, with plenty of time on their hands, assuming they've got the ability to say like, you know, um, I've got time to, to pay attention to your news. I don't, I don't have a bunch of things on my plate, but I'm not accepting embargoes. Why don't reporters accept embargoes? Well, first of all, let's talk about the embargo process, right? So I'm, I'm set, I'm giving a heads up a couple of weeks in advance, maybe a week in advance to some news to reporters. It gives them an opportunity to see it and whether or not they can want to cover it. You know, um, 
some do, some don't, you know, and I respect that process. And, and I think there's a, a, a respect there that here's the news. This is what we got, bro. And or gal. And, and if they come back and say, you know what, I'm not really going to cover it. There's a nice thank you note that goes back to them. Right. Thanks for taking a look. Right. I'm not going to bother you anymore. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes you'll get a reason. Sometimes you won't. I had one with a pretty uh, heavy, uh, influential sort of vertical trade, I guess. What do you call protocol? Oh, I don't know. I, I think they're kind of borderline businessy, right? They're business, yeah, they're they're business kind of like yeah. an insider, kind of like, yeah. An insider. yeah. And, uh, you know, the, that reporter there gave me some feedback. Like this sounds like too, too much like product news. I'm really interested in strategy, even though I pitched it as strategy. By the end of the week, he turned down the news. The news was big enough. It was about strategy. And then he did write a piece later on. I'm like, hey, what happened? <laughs> and he's like, well, we saw a lot of conversation in the marketplace. And in this uh, case, okay. like Twitter okay. happening and then other publications feeding off of it, right. you know, off of the news. And, you know, then it becomes a competitive thing for some of these news organizations. Sure. Like, I don't want to be left out of that conversation. Here's my take on the news and I'm going to write it. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we even seen one where it was another core trade publication and it was a core trade publication that I was like, I gave it to them two weeks in advance. Day before I went out to the managing editor, I'm like, dude, where are you guys at? <laughs> like, you, I know this is going to be exactly where you're going to reach. He's like, oh, okay. I got assigned a reporter that I had never heard of before. There yeah. was a quick news story. But the rest of the week, there were three more stories in that publication based on the reaction of what was happening in the marketplace. All of them I reached out to. <laughs> Come on. And you know what, Kevin? It goes back to that point. What, what that reporter told you earlier. We're full. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we're, we're, they were probably busy doing something else. But it's a like resource. It, I think it's yeah. a resource issue more often than not uh, in yeah. terms of their ability to cover stuff. But but the embargo thing, it. It, it's still a strange process. I, I mean, I, I prefer to pitch that way. I think it's the um, it's a respectful it, it, way to it, go it, about it. It's the right process, dude. I, it, I, it I still, yeah. It, it definitely is. But you know, you, you mentioned pitching, uh, pre-pitching like a, a week or two out. I mean, it's funny. Like there is, it, it's a, there's a sweet spot, right? Like you can't go out too early with a pitch, right? Two weeks is a long time. Right. You go, I want you to take a look at something that we're going to do in two weeks. And they go, shit, two weeks. I don't know what I'm doing in two days. Right. Everybody's busy. But then again, if you get under a week, uh, it's it's too tight. Right. So I think it's like in that uh, let, 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 wait, let's talk five about to seven that. day business day period there. Yeah, it's five to seven days. So let's talk about that process, Kevin. A two week pitch is like, hey, I got something coming down the pipe. Uh, want to give you a heads up about it. Just be on the lookout. A one week out pitch is, hey, here's what I got going on for you. I think this is something that you might be interested in. And this is yeah. this is a tactic here, folks, that, you know, might work for you. Uh, but it's, it's a way to just kind of keep them going, because what happens is because people are so busy, like I had one core reporter. Every time I call them, I'm going to give a story. Right. Because we're in that space. They cover us. Dude was on vacation for two weeks. Right. right? But he's. He emailed me for the beach. He was like, oh, I got to cover this, <laughs> right? You know, like, yeah. but I wanted to give him the right time. And he knew it was two weeks out. And, you know, we found a spot for him that accommodated it. Dude should have probably taken the whole vacation, but 
That's how much he's in the groove. But that's but, why the pre-pitch process, process is so important and, and why yeah. clients I'm constantly talking about the need to give me that space because someone might be on vacation. They might have had just another assignment just dropped in their lap. They need time to, to consider, to move stuff around, to pay attention to your news. And you just can't hit them you know, three days beforehand with a pitch that you think is super important. They may have other stuff going on. Yeah, I did a pitch today that was day of. Yeah, um, that's tough, man. Yeah, that's, that's to tough. Ask. That's a lot yeah. to ask. I I got I got two interviews out of it though, so um, I'm working on more. Um, but this is somebody who's established, you know. But I sure. still don't like it. I would love to have given the green light a week ago, but the way that the client was working was it it was done last night, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. when I was asleep. So hey, let's switch gears slightly because uh, I, you and I have been doing this stuff for a long time. I've been pitching enterprise tech type press for uh, 24 years, give or take at this point. And, you know, obviously the media have changed and reporters have moved on and pubs have come and gone and so on and so forth. But, you know, at least for, I would say the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of the outlets I've been pitching are the same. A lot of the people that I've been pitching are the same. And I'm, you know, and again, in, in really busy periods, I might be hitting the same people up you know i don't know a few times a week depending on how busy i am and what i have going on and i'm wondering if if you feel like there's like a threshold like a point where even your most trusted media contacts have maybe heard from you too much uh or do you feel like because you're a trusted contact it doesn't really matter how often you're pitching them uh I, you know I think, you, you no, 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 no. Yeah. I, so I, I'm viewing it a little bit differently, Kevin. I, I think pitching it is one thing and yeah, they'll, they'll take your story. And if they're a trusted contact, right. Uh, they should be hearing you from often, but I, I think of it more as an ongoing conversation, right? So like if you're pitching them, here's a story that's going on. Hopefully they're coming back to you and say, no, I'm working on this or ha having that. Like when I was um, working with Micron, uh, I had the same set of reporters all the time because it's semiconductors. I'm yeah. not going to go talk to the video game. There's guy. like seven of them. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. yeah. There's a little bit more. There's actually, yeah, yeah, quite yeah. A, there's actually quite a bit. And it's actually one of the few places that still does uh, product reviews. Uh, sure. which I was surprised though, particularly if you're looking at memory and storage technologies. Um, and those guys are the same, right? And everybody hits them up. Uh, all the competitors, Samsung, Intel, or whatever. And like, you could see them at industry events going round and round to the same party. There's about a dozen of them and they all yeah. roll together and they're all wind and dine, you know, and they're like, you, we might take them to the New York, New York Giants, uh, New York Yankees game. And then a week later, Samsung's with them in the Giants box, right? You know, because you know, I cut my teeth in PR in the semiconductor industry. That that's like for the, for an industry that has as much to do with technology as as any, right? Everything that we all you can't software, do anything without it. You can't, can't do anything without yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And yet, yeah. those guys are kind of in the dark ages in a lot of ways, right? Because <laughs> it is a really. I, I know there are a bunch of pubs out there, but there's kind of like a half dozen trade pubs focus on the semiconductor space and all those guys kind of stay in that space and know each other 
And like you said, like they're still writing product reviews, like good luck finding someone to do a product review on an enterprise tech product. Like that just doesn't. You're not going to do it on a piece of gear for sure. Yeah. But my point was in that, in that I was having conversations with those guys all the time. What are you working on? Who's this? Hey, I got this story to pitch for you. Or they're calling me. I'm like, Hey, did you hear about this competitive person doing that? And I'm like, no, thanks for the tip. Right. You know, letting everybody else know inside the company. And it was like, what's going on here? Do we have a position on it? Let's go out and say something. Like, I think that is when those, I would love, I love having those everyday conversations with journalists, right? Where can I help you? What can I do here? You should go look at this. You should go look at that. This is what this competitor did that you should, you, that's weak. <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's the art of PR, honestly. It is, but I, I and I agree with you. But I would say that in a lot of ways, PR <laughs> can be very transactional too. I think we've talked about this on the show before as well. But you know, you really, you know, everyone's busy, and you know, these reporters and editors they need to get stories out. They need content they can use, and our job is to to make that easy for them, right? So a lot of times the relationship is, you know, you have a need. I have a need. Let's get together and solve both our problems. And uh, and it's really just about you know just about doing that. So I, I think uh, again, it's it's probably you know a fine line, right? You you can it you can have a transactional relationship if you've built up like a, a certain level of trust, I guess, where you know they know that you're like you know there to help them and not just trying to get something from them. Um, and so it's okay to hit them multiple times in a week with a pitch if you're, if you're serving them and if you're helping them and if you're building that relationship, if, if you're just, Dude. what do you need? And then I'm moving on, you know, I, I think you can, uh, I think you can, um, I think you can, you can kind of be there too often. You know, I think you can kind of, uh, overstay your welcome, so to speak. Dude, um, that happens, but you become the valuable player in the industry. And this is why, you know, I think you hire specialized tech PR folks because you're talking to the, the journalists that matter in the enterprise sector, in the software sector, in the semiconductor sector, right? If you, and I, I know a lot of people end up specializing like that, even though we can walk, work across industries, but I think it adds a little bit more value for you as a practitioner because there's several clients that are working in the same space because you have those relationships. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've, uh, I've been doing a bunch of channel tech stuff for the last 10, 12 years. And, and I know the channel space real well and, uh, and the press in that space know me. And, and you're right. You know, when you've got, when you're embedded like that, you know, you become a resource to them and people are reaching out to me constantly and, and, uh, you know, and, and that helps things. And, and it feels less transactional, I think, as a result. Um, I, I know we uh, we got limited time. I, I, I want to do this game thing that I that we talked about, or not even a game, really, this hot or not idea. But before we do, let's talk real quick about how we get paid, uh, because that's a big deal. And, you know, you and I have different models. We were talking about this the other day. And, you know, there's probably a bunch of different ways to uh, to, to structure your business if you're an independent PR person. But I think the two primary methods would be, you know, you're either working by the hour or you're working on retainer. And 
you and I have approached this differently and we've been friends for a long time and we serve essentially the same companies, but we come at the, the pay structure thing from different perspectives. So I'm, I'm, I'm the hourly guy for the most part. I prefer to work that way. Uh, you are the retainer guy for the most part, not exclusively. I think we both make exceptions, but I'm, I'd like to get your take off or you mind after, but give me your take on why the retainer approach makes more sense for you. Predictability, not just for you, but for the client. Uh, and the client um, usually has this, most clients budget, Kevin, and they'll budget, you know, a hundred thousand for SEO and, you know, 200,000 for advertising and, $20 for PR, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're only getting 20, Dave, you're doing something wrong. We need to have a talk off. No, but let, let's say okay. it's like they budget, I'm going to give 10K a month PR and that's it. Go find right. somebody to fill that role, right? Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, you create a program that works within those, that, that parameter. You know how much work you're going to put in. They know how much they're going to pay. Right. And hopefully you have outcomes that satisfy both sides of that work and that pay. So it, it really is about predictability, I think, for the client side. Um, you know, but like, as you said, I'm willing to be flexible. So yeah. tell me, Kevin, about your hourly okay. way so, of doing it. So when I was uh, on the agency side 100 years ago, I always felt like we... Uh, didn't deliver, maybe this is me, right? We, I, I felt like we never, we didn't often deliver results commensurate with costs. I felt like, you know, yeah, we were building a bunch of time. We were getting some results, but at the end of the day, I was seeing those invoices go out to clients and going, my God, like I, I'd hate to be on the other side of this. Right. And then I was, <laughs> I, eventually I was, right. I was in-house. I managed communications for a public software company for three years and I had the reverse experience. And I thought, shit, you know, uh, I'm writing this check every month to this agency and I know what they did and I know what work I asked them to do. And there's just no way that they build, you know, enough hours to, to really make what I thought like the hourly cost should be work. Right. I felt like I was paying more than I was getting value for. And so when I started out on my own, I decided, you know, I'm going to do, uh, I called it, you know, kind of utility PR. This is like pre, pre-cloud, pre-SaaS stuff, but it was basically the cloud model. You're going to pay me by the hour, essentially, uh, and, and no more, no less. And, you know, you're not going to have that predictability necessarily, although I can offer that too. I'll get to that in a second, but you're not going to, uh, you'll never feel at the end of the day, like you paid too much for my service, because we both agree in advance what that hourly wage is going to be. And you know what you're giving me to do. And I'm telling you up front about how long it's going to take me to do it. And by the way, that's how I provide the predictability. But you should come away at the end of the month feeling good about your spend because, uh, because it's, it's in line. It should be perfectly in line with your expectations. And so that's why, that, that's why I went, I go the hourly route. And I feel like, and I, I gave you this example the other day, but I, I personally don't want to like go to a restaurant and know that I, you know, and, and agree up front to pay 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is for, for my meal. 
And then, you know, at the end of the meal, I'm like, I just had salad and a muffin or, you know, I just, you know, I had a soup and salad and I, you know, I, I don't feel good about that. Like I want to pay for what I got and I want to get what I paid for if I'm on the other side. And that's, that's why I, I prefer the hourly model. And yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I'm flexible on that too. I've got a client, uh, at least one that that's on the retainer model, I guess right now, just one. And, and I'll do that too. But I, I think hourly makes more sense for, uh, for a lot of companies. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to not do hourly either. Right. And so right. I think, the reason why we're, we're in this is because we both watched those agencies and have experienced those agencies charge tens of thousands of dollars a month. And you're wondering what happened, <laughs> right? And yeah. they just get away with it because it's, it's, it's there. And, you know, I, 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 I remain flexible. And I think there's a sweet spot here where, where clients don't need those big agency fees, uh, but at the same time could use a little bit more uh, in terms of experience with folks like us. Right. Uh, By the, the way, you, is, you, you get some founders sometimes or CEOs that come to you and they've raised bunch, they've raised money recently. And I'm pretty sure that they've got investors telling them your PR spend should be about X. And that's why they're like, oh, okay, you know, give me the $10,000 a month package or whatever it is. And my response to that is always like, hey, you don't have to do that, right? I understand why you're being encouraged to do that or guided to do that, but do you have news? Do you have content? Do we have stuff to do that's going to necessitate you spending that kind of money? Because especially for early stage companies, they just don't. Right. It's funny you say that because I, you know, even marketing guys, experienced marketing guys know that. One marketer I worked with at several companies his was $7,000 a month, right? I think it might've gone up now, but it, wherever he went, he had his little formula yeah. for this size company. This is how much I do for PR. I think, you know, 10 one. Then I was walking with an, uh, a friend, an entrepreneur, very successful entrepreneur uh, hanging out right now uh, because he was that successful. Uh, and we were on a hike and he's all, oh yeah, I know the whole PR agency game. I've hired and fired like five or six of them. And I keep them for about two years. I pay him $15,000 a month and that's it. You know, it's like, that was his formula, right? He just, you know, kind of. Maybe he would be firing them every six months. If, if he wasn't paying them, agreeing to pay him 15 grand a month guaranteed up front, like that, you well, see how like that can create like well, an expectation. Like the client's yeah. like, Hey, I didn't get 15,000 and the client. And then, and the PR guy is like, well, who told you to spend fifteen thousand dollars a month? Like that was your idea, yeah, right? Well, so he he was like, I'd pay share more. some of that responsibility. I, he said I'd happily pay more if it led to more sales, right? Or if yeah. you tie it back to that, right? It's got to go the other way too. They've got to right. look at it like, what do I really? Shouldn't I just pay for what I use, right? Like, I mean, and again, like, I think it's like I would feel. If, if the energy, you know, if PG&E, our electric and gas company here was like, just pay us 500 bucks a month. And I know that, you know, in the fall, we're not running any AC or any heat, you know, or anything. And I'm like, there's no way we use $500 worth of gas and electricity this month. I'm not paying for that. I want to pay for what I use. And if it's more than 500 bucks a month for PG&E, so be it. That's on me. But I, I don't want to sign up for something like that. And, yeah, and, and, I mean, on the on the retainer side, I would say this: um, you know, you're hustling every hour 
to make a buck and deliver a result. I'm hustling every hour to deliver a result to meet that retainer, right? To make that buck, right? So it's a two di- different ways of an approach, um, you know. Uh, but I, day, I, think, I think it's predictability, really, is what it is. The, and, the client's got to feel satisfied at, at the end of the month. Is the point, right? Yeah, One yeah. way or the other, whether it's the retainer or the hourly model, they've got to come away when they write your check for that month's work. They got to feel good about doing that. But let's um, let's take the client out of the equation, Kevin. For me, having that predictability sure. as a business is awesome. Of For you, how do you predict all this? Are you just like I'm gonna work ten damn hours a day and I know how much money I'm making? Well, I, I I know how much I'm making because I know how many hours I'm working, and so I can I know what to expect, and I have a sense up front of how much time I need to bill in order to meet you know my costs, but um, I kind of like, to be honest, Dave, I like, um, I like that challenge every month. It, it's part of what gets me going. It's like, I, I know that I need to do, I need to, you know, I need to build a certain number of hours and I need to provide a certain, you know, deliver certain results. Otherwise, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to have that business next month. And so it, it kind of fires me up, you know, and at, you know, 25, whatever it is, okay, so, process, it still works. Yeah. And so I think as a practitioner, I mean, if you are a PR person thinking about doing this, right, the, the, you have to weigh that approach, right? I, honestly, Kevin, I don't, I don't, I think there's a lot of people who've tried this hourly thing like you're doing and they're like, I can't do this. I'm going to go get a job. Yeah. Right. You know, sure. like it's scary. It's you got to hustle, man. right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, it is. It is scary. But I think so. So I've been on my own now since 2002. So almost 20 years, it's same model. And, uh, you know, it, it gets easier is, is the, is what I would say. It, it really does. Like once you, um, you know, once you, you, you get your clients, you figure out, uh, the kind of work that you're likely to do for them in a given month, approximately how much time that's going to take, uh, you know, you, that predictability, it, it's there. You can, you can, you, you'll find it. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it still comes back to, are you doing good work? Are you delivering results? Are the clients happy? Uh, and if, if, if you can say yes to those things, you check those boxes, you'll, uh, you know, you'll make your net. It'll, uh, yeah. it, it'll work out. All right. So that's the uh, retainer versus hourly jam. Yeah. I'll do both. You'll do both. <laughs> it's funny. We were talking about this the other day. I have one client on hourly and Kevin yeah. has one uh, one client on retainer. I think All we can the trade them for each yeah, other. You yeah, trade, trade, them? We can trade them for each other. <laughs> All right. So let's, hey, let's wrap up. Funny okay. about that, well, hold oh, on, go Kevin. Ahead. What's funny about that is you feel bad about your retainer client, and I feel bad about my hourly <laughs> client. <laughs> and so we're like the odd couple, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, so we're enterprise tech guys for the most part, and you know, uh, when we got into this biz, there were a certain set of pubs that we targeted and, you know, that list has changed over the years and, you know, pubs come and go and, and whatnot. But I thought we'd just like, let's, let's get like an update on which enterprise tech pubs are hot today and which pubs are not. Okay? I love this. this. Let's do it. Right? Yeah. Okay. And this is like, you know, based on obviously your experience, what you're working on these days, so, you know, I got a list of like 20. This is, you know, I apologize in advance if I left some 
pub out or, you know, whatever. But like, this is just like 20 kind of off the top of my head here that uh, okay. I might reach out to. Okay. All right. So to all the editors that I know that these publications, I love you, man. And yeah. I, if I say not, I still love you. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I will still pitch you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and you can base this answer on anything you want, right? Like whether they are responsive, whether you like the content, whether the website sucks, like it is the pub, would you consider the pub hot or not? And, and you can say it's like somewhere down the middle too. That's probably a fair answer as well. All right. Okay? All right, All right. I'm gonna, I got this list, but I'm not, I'm not going to go in order. So I, I don't want you to like plan ahead. I'm going I'm to I'm try to mess you up here. So let's start with uh, a pub that you mentioned the other day, the new stack, uh, which is kind of a developer or cloud focused uh, pub probably launched about five years ago. Hot or not? Get hot if you're in the software or cloud computing space. Absolutely hot. Although they're not in, their, in the way that they're, they do uh, uh, sponsored content. It, they're mixing it up really good. It's hard to see what is sponsored and what is news there. What, what do you like about the new stack? Uh, they're, they're covering, they, they were at the forefront of this cloud computing era. So they were there. So, I mean, it was like everything before that was some of these pubs that you're listing here that we're about to get to. Yeah. Uh, that was old tech, right? Yeah. Networking gears and, uh, uh, um, you know, different ways of looking at technology. Yeah, I think the pub was founded by Alex Williams, who was at the TechCrunch. He was an enterprise writer over there prior to starting the new stack. I, I like the new stack a lot. Too. I would say, I feel like the website needs a, a refresh. Is that fair to mm. say? Like it, it, and I think they were bought recently. So I'm wondering if that's coming, but it does like, there's like, it's like two columns basically of information and it just looks a little, I don't know. It looks a little 1.0 to me, but uh, otherwise I'm, I'm with you. I like the, uh, I like the pub a lot. Um, let's do another that, uh, that I happen to like, and, and actually this is um, I'm going to throw all of the uh, associated pubs together, but let's let's look at Tech Target, uh, which you know it's all the search pubs and and a few other outlets too. What what's your uh, what's your take? Hot or not on Tech Target? Yeah, it's still hot. I mean, it's just so sprawling, right? There's search AWS, search databases, search whatever. Yeah. Their business model is great from a lead. Like if you're a marketer, I think a lot of people are trying to do lead gen kind of stuff because you have to register to read their things, uh, thing. Uh, yeah, they still have some key reporters and there's, it's still a good publication that I think uh, lots of clients like. I'll give them a hot. I, I agree. I, I'd say they are the least sexy, most sexy trade the least, out there. The least you know sexy, I mean? most sexy. Yeah. Right? Like you, you yeah. go, uh, tech targets, oh, whatever. Like, I don't want to be there. And then you start reading their stuff and you're like, God damn, that's actually pretty good. Like this so, is, so like they, they, need they're, to pitch those guys. They're really ugly in person, but you put a nice dress in, on them and then they're like, oh, this is really sexy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I want to spend time with you, you know, I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I feel about them. Um, all right. Uh, another one for you. Here's an oldie, but a goodie information week, hot or not not sorry i'm just not yeah. feeling any love over there although you know there's there's a couple of hand hand uh reporters that are all right but i'm just i'm not getting uh nobody's talking about them isn't that funny right i i think um i think it's an informa published publication i think it's changed hands a few times over the years that was like the bible or one of you know that that was an important trade publication 20 years ago 15 20 years well, ago when I I saying, in, they're still around, but I feel like they just, they're still behind the time. Like they, 
Yeah, like I mean, they they got a refresh on their site recently, and I think there are a couple of good reporters, but they don't really cover news anymore. It's pretty much all feature. Well, so, so yeah, I just don't go there as much as I as I used to. So if you look at this, so this is one of those old pubs that doesn't compete with the new stack, right? right. So uh, new stack kind of took this space where information we probably should have headed, but they got bought by Informa. Informa competes with Tech Target. They do, yeah. They both are just gathering. They're creating content to gather your personal information so they can sell articles and events, et cetera. Yeah. So information week is not the banging news thing that they were doing in the past. Uh, Ironically, like they're there. called information week, but like the information is stuff. It, it's, it's not weekly. It's not even, I mean, it is, but it's not timely. You know what I mean? Like you mean they, the, right. they could have done what the new stack is doing. They should have, they've got the brand for it, but they have obviously chosen another path. Are you saying their information is weak, Kevin? I'm saying they should be like information monthly instead of information <laughs> week or, 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 or information every six months. I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, they're all right, but like uh, they, they just, I agree. They're not, they're not hot for me. Uh, let me give yeah. you another one. Uh, I, I think, all right, I'm not even going to tell Okay, here's another one. Maybe this is low hanging fruit. Info World. Uh, you know what? They've actually come through for me on the software side of the house. I'm really? gonna give them a hot. Yeah, they they have been. They're still they're still pulling off. Or maybe it's because I've been working with them recently. But if you're if it's in software, they've got key software reporters out there. They're warm. I think they they become very niche. But they they're, they're publishing. It, yeah. So this is an IDG pub, which uh, you know uh, that's yeah, that's CIO and um, what else does IDG do? Oh, Network World. Who knows, uh, dude? Who they're else? under the hood, though. Infowars is definitely under the hood. And actually, for a while there, like, I feel like a bunch of their content was coming from like a Put few it this guys way. who weren't on staff, like David Lintecum. I don't know if you know that guy, but he's over. But they're, they're all taking they're all taking contributors, but they have staff like Paul Krill still on there. Uh, um, yeah, Scott Carey, I mean, they're I really like that. That's pretty deep into like uh, into uh, you know coding and and yeah yeah yeah. That kind of stuff, but I agree. I, I, I actually, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them hot, um, and I would actually, I almost had them. I would have almost said they were dead, maybe like two or three years ago. But I, I think they're, I don't know if they're even warm for me, but they're hanging in for me. But you, you put them as warm. That's what you got them firmly. Yeah, on the, they're they're still publishing stuff. There's still stuff that all right. Certain people are paying attention to. All right, uh, here's a, we'll do a couple more of these. Uh, here's a fun one: TechCrunch. Hot or not? To me, not. Yeah. To everybody else, hot. Really? I think. Who, who so. are they hot to? Who are they hot to? Uh, startups, venture folks. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, there's still, still investing stuff. It, it's, it's not, not what the it same was. Cachet. People still want to be in TechCrunch, huh? Less so. I, I mean, the people I'm talking to, yes, they still want to be there, particularly startups. It's really hmm. a startup design now. So. Which is which is funny too because if you and I, I you know I fell off the wagon I'm a, I feel like I need to have an intervention here because I did go to their website for the first time in like eight months the other day I was pitching a story but um, you know every all the rounds not all the rounds but most of the the funding stuff they cover which is really this is really more of like you know um, recognition of kind of the, the way that funding happens and with startups but like all these rounds are massive. Right, all the funding rounds that they cover are massive, and 
so they, they kind of claim to be focused on the startups, I guess, or, you know, if you're an investor, you want your startup covered there, but like, unless you've raised, I don't know, 50 million, a hundred million, it's very hard to get their attention. Yeah. Yeah. So you yep. got them, you got them in the hot category. Not, I mean, hot. Oh, not sorry. Me. You said not, but hot not to, to me, people. hot to yeah. some other people. I'm like, yeah, okay. All right. You know, right. how about their uh, once was competitor venture beat hot or not? I got to give it up for venture beat that. I mean, I give hot. They, they keep, they keep pump. They keep going. Way to go, Matt and team yeah. and Dean and, and sure. For me, for me, that like just go. Those right? guys were left for dead. They, they yeah, were dead. They, still they were doing about, it. It was about over for a while, and I feel yeah. like they've come back and they've switched. They pivoted, <clears throat> and they, you know, uh, I think they're doing some pretty good stuff over there. Actually, yeah, and I think their stories. Once you play some, I think they get syndicated in some random sites too. So mm. it helps out. Yeah. So. I'm feeling venture beat. I'm going hot yeah. for venture beat. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. like those guys. Uh, a couple more and then we'll uh, we'll shut it down. Give me your take on Give me your take on uh, cio.com. Who? CIO. CIO magazine but the the website cio.com. Uh, I was asking who. <laughs> <laughs> that was a diss. Oh man. <laughs> Really? No, listen, okay. CIO is a great piece to get in some sort of case study or something like that, but huh. I'm pretty yeah. sure no CIO is reading it. Wow. Yeah. That's a slam. Okay. I, yeah, I actually think some of the content on that site is good. They've really gone down the path of like... Uh, it's a like case know, study jobs. kind of stuff, right? You know, jobs and careers. Careers, career. yeah. Certifications yeah. get a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, moving up the IT hierarchy. Yeah, but you're not gonna up. you're not gonna okay. get the technology in that whole thing, dude. Like, so for some reason, well, you live in on the peninsula near Silicon Valley. Everybody's in tech out here in in Napa County. There's not everybody in tech. There's a lot of wine, but somehow I moved to a place where I've had two major company CIOs living next door to me. Mm. Right, like literally, they're they're titled CIO bigcompany.com. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> and uh, actually there's three of them. And I, I, you know, I know them socially and I kind of like, what do you read? Not once did CIO.com or CIO magazine come up. Hmm. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't have that specific data point, but I would say the content on CIO is definitely geared more toward IT leadership than InfoWorld, clearly. So I, I don't know. I guess I'd be surprised. I, I um, You might you, be you, right. You, but you I, are I actually an, think the content's pretty good. You are an executive when you are a CIO. So it is definitely more about leadership, um, less about certain technologies that are happening. Yeah. Fair enough. I just haven't pitched them in a while. I'm sure so. Yeah. I and th- I think for others, um, actually, I've pitched these folks because a lot of them are freelancers. I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah. It depends Maybe on who's the right time there. It's really it's it. The content is good. Again, they don't do any news, not really, occasionally. Um, and there's definitely a bunch of freelancers, but the content itself is strong and it's definitely higher level. Are you giving them the hot? I, I'm going to say they are on the hotter side of warm. How about that? I don't All know right. if I'd call them hot. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's, it's not a bad place to be. Um, I'll throw one more at you. And then if you, you know, want to 
throw a cup out yourself, feel free. But I, I would put, uh, tell me what you think of, uh, of Silicon Angle. If anything. Uh, listen, I, I, I like Silicon Angle. I like the whole cube rhythm. I, I love Dave. I love John, what they're doing over there. I think they really changed the way that um, enterprise technology could be presented meaning particularly on the cube. So they own the cube channel. Yeah. I love what they've done. Basically, you know, I call it, you know, the ESPN sports show of, of technology conferences because right. they're there Smart. on the ground and just reporting on it with excitement and energy and interviewing the right people, having these great conversations. Um, the Silicon Angle side is a lot of rehash of that, right? Um, I'm not getting too much hard news. And I think that's part of their model. Don't give them a warm. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I think it's a strong site. Um, again, I don't know. I mean, hot may be a strong word, but I, definitely on the hotter side of warm. And I do agree. Like, I, I feel like they found a way to make enterprise tech a little, a little sexy, um, you know, a, a little exciting uh, in a way that some of these other pubs, you know, especially like we were talking about like the information weeks of the world, just, just haven't. So I, I give Silicon Angle some credit. I think they've done some good stuff over there. Yeah. Cool. Anyone else you want to hit? No, I think we, we should be wrapping this up right here. There's a lot to hit. Maybe we can hit this list later on. We'll save it for the future. But this feels like something we should do like quarterly. Like yeah, quarterly. quarterly right? yeah, not, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. So we're off next week, Kevin. Um, I've got some place to be. Okay. But the three weeks after that is exciting. We're going to have a media insider on the show. So on our September 30th show, we'll have somebody. And then we will be talking about uh, diversity in this industry on October 7th. And then uh, I can't wait to get to this one, sports PR on October 14th. Yeah, so we've got this, Scott Yaffe's coming on. That's yeah, right. so we've got this lined up pretty good. So tune in. So, um, Kevin, thanks for being here. Always, man. Stick around. PR folks and anyone else. It's great to have you come back and join us on the, uh, on the embargo. Cool. See y'all soon.